WOUB News, this is The Outlet, where campus meets community. I'm April Leslie. And I'm MC Tilton. This week, classes are back in session here at Ohio University. We detail the new features of the recently opened Schoonover Center for Communications on the Athens campus. It's been about five months since Athens County Sheriff's Deputy John Culture lost his canine partner, Ryder. We'll talk to Culture about Ryder's replacement. And each September in Athens, students and community members gather to remember the attack on September 11, 2001. We'll explain how this year's events came together. We'll also report on the return of the Pawpaw Festival. Those stories and more coming up on the outlet. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Outlet. Today we're talking about the new changes to Ohio University's campus since the start of fall semester. The Schoonover Center for Communication is hosting classes for the first time this year. Reporter Alex Warner explains a new specialized classroom housed in the building. Recent construction of the new communications building at Ohio University has students quite literally communicating in different ways in class. For professors, cooperative learning is not a new concept. What is new to professors is one classroom designed specifically for this kind of learning. Located on the fourth floor, this classroom is filled with large egg-shaped tables. Students get to pick a group to sit in before class even starts. Each table is hooked up to a TV monitor that allows students to connect and project anything from their electronic devices. An education book aptly titled A Guide for Cooperative Learning Group Activities for College Courses by Alice McPherson defines cooperative learning as group teaching and learning techniques where students interact with each other to acquire and practice the elements of subject matter to meet common learning goals. To put it simple, students work in groups to teach each other and deepen their own understanding of the material. The goals of cooperative learning are that students will gain positive interdependence, learn accountability, interact simultaneously, and participate equally in the group. Kayla Blanton, a junior at Ohio University, has had the opportunity to engage in group activity in the new classroom. I like the idea of a collaborative classroom, of taking a lecture-sized class and kind of uh, allowing it to be more catered to a discussion class, but it's definitely proved to have a few complications when it comes to technology, and I don't think all of it's necessary. I think it can sometimes be distracting. In a classroom of 400 students, it can be so easy to lose focus of the lecture. That's the reason behind a program called Supplemental Instruction, or SI. The program aims to offer a similar cooperative learning environment outside of class. SI's research shows that most people retain 50% more material through group discussion. The program's assistant director, Amanda Remnant, says that group discussion is where they want to start students. And better yet is if there is someone in the group that can teach the rest of the group the information. The main purpose of the SI student leader is to get students talking about the lecture. So the SI leader not only focuses on the subject and getting students to really collaborate and think about the concepts together, but they'll also talk about just how to be successful students in general. Remnant says she can see the possibility of more classrooms like the one in Schoonover coming into existence. I think, honestly, just having a different setup ability in your classroom, just taking out the stadium seating and putting in more round tables. Maybe you wouldn't have to go as far with all the technology because that's the expensive piece, but just making it so there is a possibility for collaboration is, I think, what would make it more likely to occur. 
For The Outlet, I'm Alex Warner. As a part of our Conversations from Studio B series here at WOUB, our general manager, Tom Hodson, sat down with Dr. Lynn Harder and Evan Shaw. They're both documentary filmmakers, and they sat down to talk with us about their latest work, Creative Abundance. So Creative Abundance is the sort of second in a series, I'm not sure series is the right word, but second of a collective of documentaries under the umbrella term uh, of courage of creativity. So, so Lynn, in, in a paragraph or two, tell us what this is about. Thanks, Tom. Evan and Maggie Quinlan and I are really excited to share this story. Our film chronicles the efforts of two artists and consultants, Patty Mitchell and Susan Delohi, as they work to integrate what they term a creative abundance model as an alternative way to organize sheltered workshops. Sheltered workshops in our culture function as spaces that, that foster the rehabilita- rehabilitative and vocational growth of individuals with developmental disabilities. And it's really been our privilege and honor to, to document how they are integrating an alternative asset-based vision for how we can imagine a future beyond the familiar. This is not, not a new field for you. This is really the culmination of uh, a good portion of your academic career. <laughs> right? Uh, when I think back to, to when my passion for this project started, it really happened the very first week that my family moved to Athens. So my husband, Scott, and, and daughter, Emma Grace, and I moved here about 13 years ago. We were still unpacking and had dinner at Casa. And that night, they had an art exhibit uh, by a local studio, studio Passionworks. And what drew me in was the whimsical um, nature of the art and a mission statement that accompanied that art. The, the organization described itself as wanting to be inspired, wanting to liberate the human spirit through the arts. And I... Turned to my husband and said, "I want to. I want to know these people. I want to work with people who are driven to inspire and liberate the human spirit through the arts." And so, a month later, I, I started as a volunteer. And my relationship with Patty Mitchell, then um, a director of Passionworks, has evolved over the thirteen years. I've done years of ethnographic fieldwork with students where we've explored how they organize and communicate in alternative ways. These these openings have to be both um, fulfilling and uh, nerve-wracking for, for both of you. Uh, I know, Evan, uh, we, we did one, uh, uh, you did a documentary for us here at WOUB on Pomeroy, and we aired that to about 700 people in the in the Meg's High School Auditorium. I'm sure it'll be packed uh, on September 10th. Do you sort of feed on that, or is that an awkward situation for you? What I love them and absolutely hate them. <laughs> Afterwards, I love them, but d- while they're going on, they make me an absolute nervous wreck. Uh, the Pomeroy one, I didn't even watch. I went out in the lobby and just kind of paced around. I'm more concerned about technical you know, things will have the DVD stops playing or something. But that's just my mind always racing. Um, I know it's a good story. I hope people will be engaged. But there's always a sense of relief when you have a funny moment that comes in and people laugh along with it. 
that there's kind of a you, uh, it's supposed to be it's funny, supposed to be funny and someone laugh actually, they right. catch on exactly there's nothing worse than when that happens and they don't but um yeah it's a it's an interesting experience um it's definitely nerve-wracking but also pretty fulfilling at the same time you you started your career uh doing sports and still do uh, work for nfl films uh, the the work though that you and Lynn have teamed up is is far from athletic. Are some of the storytelling concepts the same, or is it totally different for you in in the way you approach storytelling in this fashion? You know, it's actually much more similar than people would think. Um, you know, my background is I'm a, a technical person. I'm a cameraman. I'm an editor, um, and. So when I approach a football game, when I used to shoot football, when I still do shoot football, I'm always looking for the story. And I like things to just kind of happen for me. And that's kind of the essence of documentary, they I think. They just sort of happen organically. Exactly. Uh, for the, things to happen, the, the game, game happens. The game takes you. Right. Okay. I'm not a narrative guy. I don't want to set things up and, you know, right. do 10, 15 takes of something. I want it to happen. And there's kind of a rush that you get when you have one chance to capture something on film. Um, and so taking that model to this, um, these projects has been an interesting experience because it's you only get one chance when someone's making a new piece of art. Um, they can't take that brushstroke back. So if you don't capture it correctly, you kind of miss that moment. Um, so I kind of get you know, really energized by that to try to make sure I capture all that and move along with someone, kind of think about where their next moments are going to be, their next steps are going to be, and try to anticipate you know, their, next, their next movement and make sure I'm in the right place to capture that and just kind of flow and go with it. Um, it's kind of an interesting job because I just kind of follow people around and make sure I'm there and ready to go. There's a lot more that goes into it sure, besides that. Sure. But it's I really enjoy that, letting things happen and capturing it because I think that's the essence of documentary is being as truthful to what's actually happening as possible. You know, that verita of this is what I'm seeing right now and, and following that around. I, I really love the title of this one, Creative uh, ab- Abundance. Um, I'm not sure people will understand what that means until they see the the documentary. Uh, did you? I, I know that the title is something that Patty Mitchell and the the people that you work with uh, have embraced. But talk about the title a bit. You bet. One thing that both Evan and I strongly believe in is something that in a classroom I would talk about as in vivo codes, and in vivo oh, means no, wait a second. it okay. means. In the living, in vivo. And for me, as a filmmaker, as a storyteller, I think it's incredibly important to respect and honor the language and the practices and processes of the people who invite you into their life, in vivo, in the living. And so the, the titles for our documentaries come from the people that we work with. Lynn, in about the last minute and a half, I'm going to give you the last word on why people should come and see Creative Abundance or watch it once we air it on WOUB, which we will be doing shortly. I know for myself that in this journey over 13 years and more recently two years working with Evan and Maggie on this film, I have a better vision of how to live well. And that vision has come from being inspired by the people that I've met. And I invite people to experience that same sort of joy and transformation. Well, I want to thank both of you for being with me this morning, Lynn and and Evan. Thank you both. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks.
Athens County Sheriff's canine unit suffered a loss last spring when Deputy John Culture's canine partner, Ryder, was killed in a fire. Reporter Asha Brogan tells us about his replacement, a young Dutch shepherd named Ejo. Despite his young age, the new addition to the Athens County Sheriff's Office, canine Ejo, is all focus. The large dog with a dark-colored coat and pricked ears is still growing, but is constantly alert and ready to work. He is both mentally and physically strong, making Ejo the perfect partner for Deputy John Culture and the Athens County. Culture is the official canine handler for Athens County and says many people ask why most police dogs, including Ejo, are brought over from France, and it all comes down to bloodlines. While there are three main breeds of police dogs, Ejo is a Dutch Shepherd, a working breed whose parents and great-grandparents have been used as police dogs in France for generations. There's Belgian Malinois, which are becoming the uh, more popular canine. There's Dutch Shepherds, which they're they're geared like Belgian Malinois, very, very high drive, um, thin, slender, very stocky, very fast. Both dogs are fast. And then you have uh, German Shepherds. Um, there's still a lot of departments that enjoy the German Shepherd just because they're a little bit more um, relaxed and not as high driven compared to a Belgian Malinois or Dutch Shepherd, which is basically a child on sugar, <laughs> as I would put it. They, they have, it takes a lot to take their drive away. Police canines need to have a high work ethic. They're especially trained as dual purpose dogs. Their first use is sniffing out drugs such as marijuana, cocaine, and heroin. Secondly, they are used as patrol dogs. This includes keeping their handler safe and tracking articles such as clothing or weapons. Making the high price tag of $11,500 of the imported and trained dog well worth it. Culture says he and Ejo are no exception. They are working as a team 24-7 and are constantly available for any sort of law enforcement in the area, including OUPD, the State Patrol, and the Major Crimes Unit. People don't understand how much goes into that and how much goes into working with the Major Crimes Unit, working with the prosecutor's office, you know, and the amount that, you know, if you tallied up all the seizures and every, you know, how much a gram costs or whatever we seize, within at least two and a half to three years, you have it, theoretically you have it tallied up to where the, co the cost of the dog is paid for. Culture has been working with police dogs since he was 18, and after Ryder's death, he was given the opportunity to continue working for Athens with Ejo. The new team already has four arrests of people suspected of crime to their name and multiple narcotic and cash seizures, as well as working with the Major Crimes Unit. Ejo is, is asked a lot at a young age, and he has definitely proven that he can perform. And, um, you know, I, like I said, I couldn't ask for having a better, a better chance as a handler with Ejo. For the outlet, this is Asha Brogan. It's been a tradition in Athens to remember the September 11th attacks by participating in United Campus Ministries' Interfaith Peace Walk. Lily Bradley reports. On the 14th anniversary of September 11th, more than 100 Athens residents and Ohio University students marched despite the rain in support of peace at the 5th Annual Interfaith Peace Walk. May peace be among you, may peace be the gift you carry away from this walk, and may you share it extravagantly, courageously, and insistently with the world. The Interfaith Peace Walk is part of the Better Together campaign at Ohio University. 
The campaign is a student-led movement to build community across faith divisions through shared engagement in community service. Students plan and run events with support from United Campus Ministry, or UCM. Reverend Evan Young is the campus minister for UCM. He feels the Interfaith Peace Walk is crucial for a unified community. It's getting people um, who share a commitment to uh, activism, to social justice, to uh, peace, getting them together, getting them talking with each other, uh, giving them an opportunity to hear from each other, to draw encouragement, inspiration, uh, support from each other. Um, there's something amazing that happens when you get people like that together. You know, each one of them in, in their own right is pretty amazing. You get them together, then th that's when amazing really happens. The march began at the Episcopal Church of the Good Shepherd. While making their way through campus, supporters passed seven of Athens' local churches, stopping to pray at OU's Hillel and to sing at Christ the King. The evening concluded with a blessing and candlelight vigil at OU's Islamic Center. Ian Thompson is a senior at Ohio University and has been actively involved with UCM for over a year. You know, we see a lot of, you know, clashes in the world and even here on campus over issues of religion, origin, ethnicity. But, you know, it feels good to see, you know, a group of people, you know, of such, you know, diverse backgrounds coming together and and saying they they don't want any more violence. They want peace. They want justice. They want you know, love in the world. That, I feel, is very important that we need more people like that. Thompson also felt the significance of the date. 9-11 is a time when people came together in the crisis. It's a time when, yes, some of us were divided by, by, who, by our beliefs, but, we're, but we also put them aside for the greater good and to help each other get, get over and get back on our feet. And standing together like that, I believe, is something that we as, you know, a university, as a country, need to do. Something the Athens and Ohio University community seem to be doing well. Marching together under one common cause, peace. For The Outlet, I'm Lily Bradley. Last weekend saw the return of a fruity festival dear to the hearts of many in our region. Reporter MC Tilton has more. Every September, Southeast Ohioans gather to celebrate North America's largest tree fruit, the pawpaw. The largest pawpaw festival in the country takes place in Lake Snowden, just 20 minutes outside of Athens. A shuttle from Ohio University's Baker Center takes Athenians to a wooded plot with a glassy lake, thick with campers and late summer insects. The pawpaw itself is hard to describe. Chris Schmiel, Athens County Commissioner and founder of the festival, has been working on his description since he started the fair 17 years ago. I kind of, I describe it as a tropical flavor, you know, because it's not quite mango, but most people say mango, but because Americans don't seem to have a, a lot of reference points for tropical flavors, it's actually, it's in the custard apple family. So the texture being very custard-like, is maybe where that comes from. Special events at the festival included competitions for the best pawpaw, best pawpaw-related work of art, a pawpaw cook-off, and the pawpaw eating contest. 
A full lineup of presentations and activities covered pawpaw growing, cooking, genetics, and even medical use, plus workshops on everything from tai chi to beekeeping. Food vendors brought especially creative edibles to the table, including pawpaw beer, mousse, smoothies, sauces, muffins, pizza, curry, and waffles. Schmiel said one of his favorite parts of the festival is its focus on sustainability. I think it does have a uh, really good positive place in our community. And, you know, this Energy Village tent kind of focuses on a lot of the stuff that, you know, I'm working on as a commissioner. But, yeah, I mean, I'm really into sustainable communities. And, you know, I think this really highlights that, you know, and like we could create good jobs for people. We got a lot of entrepreneurs that are here. And, uh, you know, like all the food vendors, not all of them, but most of them are local, you know, and all our artists that are here are juried in. We're trying to support the local entrepreneurs. Keeping with the sustainability theme, the Pawpaw Festival partnered with the Zero Waste Initiative to bring a state-of-the-art recycling sorter on site. Vendors used compostable tableware, while food scraps were diverted for composting. The 2014 festival saw a 93% waste diversion rate. Activists for other causes were also given the opportunity to table. Greg Howard of Safe Water Meigs County said he appreciated the chance to reach new audiences at the festival. Uh, Paul Paul's a pretty eclectic bunch, but we've seen people that were just local farmers in here, and we're lo- working to save our water supply. We're just looking to stop this hazmat water from coming out of state and being injected in Meigs County where people aren't paying attention. Though the festival was consistently buzzing with people, the weekend's unpredictably rainy weather caused attendance to vary. Maureen Burns-Hooker, founder of the Herbal Sage Tea Company, said that was discouraging at times. This year the weather is tough when it's cold and windy and, uh, windy and rainy. It's, uh, it's tough. Um, but we're all here. It's, you know, we all want to be here. Burns-Hooker's favorite part of the festival is the enthusiasm she feels from attendees. When I first started doing pawpaw, my son was very young. And now this year, Papa, not only is my son here, but my grandson's here. So it's a generational thing. And that's what you'll see in Athens is there are generations of people spending time together. You don't see that in a lot of communities, but you see that in a community like Athens. Similarly, Ohio native and festival regular Jennifer Michaels said she likes to meet people who share her vibe. Um, just really just talking to people and uh, finding out, you know, about where they're from and just how they en- enjoy coming here. It's a great community festival, and just I think everyone really enjoys that. My, one of my favorite things is to hear people describe what the pawpaw fruit tastes like because everyone describes it differently. <laughs> so that's fun. Commissioner Schmiel said he is pleased with how the festival has evolved since 1998. Ah, gosh. The first year, it was just a four-hour event, and uh, it was in October, actually. And uh, that's a little late for the pawpaws, so that was challenging. And we've been at Lake Snowden for 15 years. And it's slowly, basically every year, it gets a little bit bigger and better, ideally. This year, we're pretty well packed in here. We've really, like, expanded some of our our educational tents, and uh, so we're filling up our space. As Saturday night wound down, the main music stage captured Athens' favorites Bright at Night and the Wild Honeybees. And reflecting on the weekend, Schmiel said he considered the 2015 Pawpaw Fest a success. It's kind of risky. I mean, we spend a lot of money, like, buying the shirts and the glasses and the beer. And, you know, like, there's a lot of costs involved. 
And when the weather's not working out, it's a little scary, you know. We've been really lucky over the years. I mean, this is one of the rainiest Saturdays we've ever had. And uh, so, but hey, we survived, uh, finally stopped raining. You know, the sky's clear and, uh, you know, it's nice, cool, cool down, fall-like temperatures. For The Outlet, I'm MC Tilton. That's it for our show this week. Thanks for joining us. The Outlet was hosted by myself and MC. We're edited by Atish Baidya, Susan Tebbin, and Allison Hunter. Adam Rich is our technical assistant, and our theme music was written and performed by Ryan Gabus. You can subscribe to The Outlet on iTunes or find us online at woub.org. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Athens and Ohio University communities.